Good morning. Welcome to Northminster on this beautiful Sunday morning. You will notice as you look around you that the uh, sanctuary has had quite a transformation uh, because this is the first Sunday of Advent, if you can believe it. We are into the Christmas season and we begin this morning with our first Advent celebration. Uh, Before I go any further and say anything else, I want to thank those who made this transformation happen. As you can imagine, this was quite a bit of work. So I want to say thank you to Marilyn Decker, Peggy Kasky, Robert Crawford, um, Peggy Burns. Who else? Who am I forgetting? Susan. Susan Curry. Is there anybody else? Thank you all very, very much for this work. I know that it took quite a bit of time, and we all benefit from the beauty of this. Uh, transformation. So we appreciate you and your hard work. I want to say a word of welcome this morning to all of you, but especially any who are joining us online or who are guests. We are particularly honored by your presence and hope that you will uh, join us in all aspects of our worship service. Um, Whether you have been here before or not, we welcome you. We do celebrate communion here at Northminster every week. And if you have not taken communion with us before, there are instructions on the insert to your order of worship, or follow the people around you and just do what they do. If you're in need of a gluten-free wafer, we do have those available. Just get my attention. I will make sure that you have one provided. Uh, You will notice our beautiful flowers, of course, part of our Advent decorations. I've been told to instruct you to love them from afar. Love them with your eyes. They are not to be taken home, as is our usual custom. Um, So let them stay where they are and in their beautiful arrangements. Also, you will notice as you look at uh, your order of worship today that our worship service is a little bit different. This is, as we did last year, a hanging of the green service. So we are going to talk this Sunday about a lot of these elements that we use during Advent. Um, explanations of those things, some special music this morning, and I want to specifically point out that there is music on your insert. The uh, response to the candle lighting, which the choir will sing first, and then we as a congregation will echo, is on your insert, so don't miss that. We will sing that every week, a different verse, and then as we get to the end of the service, our carol sing. We will just do one verse of these hymns, Uh, And that is on the back of that insert. So if you're looking for those, that's where you will find them. I hope you will stick around after our worship service today for a time of fellowship. Have a snack, have something to drink, and get to chat with those you haven't seen in a while. We welcome you to stay for that. And then, I think that's everything. Make sure you're checking that insert for all of our upcoming events. This is a busy time in the life of the church. So uh, make sure you're checking for those upcoming events, including the Messiah and the Chili Supper. We will have youth tonight, but at four o'clock instead of our normal five and only about an hour. Okay, so we need youth and any of the younger kids who are gonna be in the play, be here at four, gonna rehearse for an hour, and then they will be free to go. And if you have any questions, come see me, see the Kimball Keens, they'll be able to to help you out. All right, unless I'm forgetting anything, anything else? Craig, would you come offer our minute for missions?
As with previous years, the Alliance of Baptists is Northminster's mission emphasis for December. Since our founding in 1989, the Alliance has been our denominational home, connecting us with other like-spirited churches and individuals across the country. Uh, it was founded in 1987, shortly before Northminster, and it's a group of progressive Baptists and other progressive Christians committed to enacting God's love and justice in the world. Currently, the Alliance numbers about 140 churches, so really pretty small, uh, partner churches and a few thousand individuals. And you'll find ways to contribute to the Alliance on your insert in the order of worship. And then another mission plug, the sisters and brothers of our partner church in Cuba. Late in January, seven of us from Northminster will be traveling to Cuba to celebrate the 30th anniversary of our beautiful partnership with our partner church in Ciego de Avila, Iglesia Bautista in Manuel. Uh, the sit current situation, economic situation, other and other situations too, in Cuba is quite dire. And they've asked us to bring a few things, simple things, uh, that we can put in our luggage. And you'll see those items listed in the insert uh, to the order of worship, or you'll find them uh, listed on the, on the mission trunk uh, where the items can be deposited. So these two mission opportunities for uh, December uh, for you to take advantage of during this, this special time of giving. And we hope that you'll be generous to help the Alliance of Baptists and our friends in Cuba. Thanks. I want to echo what Craig said, especially for our, our sisters and brothers in Cuba. Uh, life is not easy there. Having been able, lucky enough to go there the January of this year, so anything that we can do to help um, has an enormous impact. So please, please give for those people. All right, now let's take a deep breath together. Because whether or not we like it, Christmas is coming. And we all need to prepare ourselves for that, for all of the directions that we get pulled in this time of year, but also for the joy of this season, because it is a joyful season. So take a deep breath. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. Plant your feet firmly on the floor if that makes you comfortable. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out the shopping that isn't done, the packages that aren't wrapped. As you breathe in, breathe in the beauty of this good place. Breathe in the love of those around you. Breathe out again. Know that whatever you bring with you today, however you come to worship, God sees you and loves you. And then let us worship God together. How does a weary world help hope? By praying for children as they grow and picking up trash on the sidewalk. By insisting that small acts can make a difference. There are a million ways to practice hope. So, so today we light the candle of hope as a reminder and a charge. With God's help, may we bring hope into your weary world. 
2,000 years ago, so the story goes, a clutch of sleepy shepherds were watching over their sheep on a star-brightened hill outside of Palestine. It was a still, uneventful night. Suddenly, the darkness was filled with a strange light. The stillness was broken by angelic voices singing, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to all. So begins Christmas, the most beautiful and meaningful celebration of the Christian calendar, with the exception of Easter. But Christmas actually begins with Advent, the season through which we begin moving this morning. Advent and Christmas have long histories, and their customs have developed through many centuries, cultures, and locations. Old customs and observances are refined, renewed, replaced. New ones are added. Some of our customs have pagan origins, but have been converted by redefining their meaning. What is significant now is what these customs mean for us today. This morning, our sanctuary begins to wear its Advent finery. In particular, I want to point your attention to our banners. Uh, these were made by Keith and Penny Joyner, founding members of Northminster, around 1989 or 90. So some of these banners are older than some of our children. This is the first of our four banners. At the foot of the banner, uh, and this is the banner of hope, is a black star of David, enclosed, uh, enclosing the alpha symbol to express the darkness and suffering the world experienced in the beginning, as recorded in our historical Jewish heritage. The open book above and underneath the tree symbolizes the prophetic foretelling of hope through a Messiah. A tree grows from the book to remind us of the prophecy that through the root of Jesse, a savior would be born. The three crowned orbs represent the sovereignty of the Trinity over the world. At the top of the banner is the triumphant purple Cairo, the monogram of the Greek word for Christ. Rays of hope emanate down from the Christ symbol through the generations, symbolized by living branches of the tree. So on this first Sunday of Advent, we are surrounded for the first time this season by the scent of greenery, the sight of a poinsettia, a nativity set, and Advent candles. Christmas and the Christ child aren't here yet, but with these symbols we will celebrate today, we are preparing. Advent makes innkeepers out of all of us, asking each of us to make room for the arrival of Christ. Let us today prepare him room in our church, our hearts, and our lives.
my young friends. How are you today? Everybody doing good? So, you look around the sanctuary. Are there lots new, of new things to look at? Yeah. Yeah, lots of new things to look at. Although, remember, we don't touch them, right? But the one thing I want to really draw your attention to is, do you see those figurines up on the altar? Can you see them from where you're sitting? Does anybody know what that's called? Ricky, I saw your hand. Do you know what that's called? Okay. They're statues. Yeah, that's close. And baby Jesus is up there. What do you think? It's kind of like a stand. Do you know the name, Camden? Do you know what it's called? Hold on. We're going to let Camden answer. It's a nativity set. Good job. That's the fancy official name for what that is. And this is a very special nativity set, not only because it has so many beautiful pieces, and as far as we can tell, it was made in Italy, we think, but this nativity set belonged to our former pastor, Pastor Welton, and his wife, Judy. Now, I don't know if any of you remember Pastor Welton. He was a pastor here several years ago, and then you had Claire and Zach in between, Um, but he... It's a very important part of our church. His picture is out in the narthex. Well, you can't see it from here because the doors are closed. But when you leave today, the gentleman has the stole around his portrait. That's Pastor Welton. And this was his and his wife's, one of their nativity sets that uh, Peggy Burns, one of our church members, um, is letting us borrow to help remember Welton and Judy, but also so you can see that beautiful set. So it's kind of like a family heirloom. Do you guys know what family heirlooms are? They're special things in families that are passed down. So in my family, one of those things is a cabinet that was my grandmother's. It's a family heirloom. Uh, There's also jewelry. Sometimes jewelry can be family heirlooms. So my mother has some jewelry that was my grandmother's. Those are family heirlooms. So this is kind of a family heirloom for Northminster that helps us celebrate Advent and Christmas. Does that make sense? Special things that we hold on to, even though somebody else might look at it and go, "Ah, it's just little statues. But for us, they're really important because of who they used to belong to. So you're gonna see more of these in the coming weeks. I'm actually gonna ask some of you who have really good, solid hands to help bring in some of these pieces over the next few weeks. You have to be really careful with them because we don't want them to break. But I want you to watch because the whole thing is out today. You see all the pieces. But we're going to just put out a few every Sunday. And I want you to see how the nativity set comes together. And it helps us celebrate. All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. I want everybody to turn around, face the congregation, keep your hands to yourselves, please. Turn all the way around. Yes, thank you. Set up nice and straight and tall. Very good. All right, we're going to say our prayer. I will say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. Adults, you're welcome to join in, but remember the kids are in charge of this. Here we go. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. 
Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Walk, please. Thank you. A reading from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, God, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. A word from the psalmist for us today. Thanks Thanks be to God. The lighting of candles has been part of religious worship for millennia and became important in early Christian worship in part because Jesus is called the light of the world in the New Testament. Some early Christian leaders stated that the wax of altar candles represented the body of Christ, while the wick symbolized his soul, and the flame portrayed his divine nature. Advent, in particular, is a time of expectation and preparation. This is symbolized by the lighting of the candle in the Advent wreath on each Sunday of the season, reminding us that something is happening, but more is to come. The evergreens in which the candles sit are a symbol of eternal life, while the form of the wreath, a circle with no beginning or end, symbolizes that our life with God is everlasting. Three of the candles are purple and sit on uh, and are lit on the first, second, and fourth Sundays of Advent, the Sundays of hope, peace, and love, respectively. Their purple color is a reminder of Jesus' place in the royal line of King David. The third candle is pink because the early church recognized that we are a people of joy in every season, so they set aside the third Sunday of Advent to focus on joy. The color pink, or more accurately, rose, was was chosen as a reminder that even in the midst of longing, anticipating, and waiting, the church never ceases to rejoice. The candle is sometimes called the Mary candle for a mother's joy in the birth of her child. Finally, in the middle of the Advent wreath stands a large white candle. This is the Christ candle, which isn't lit until Christmas Eve and then on the following Sundays of Christmastide. It represents and reminds us of the light that comes into the world with Jesus' birth. Most Christmas greenery reflects European traditions. But one colorful plant, which looks like a flaming star, is native to North America. The poinsettia was named after Dr. Joel Poinsett, an ambassador to Mexico, who first introduced the plant to the United States in 1828. The people of Mexico and Central America call the brilliant tropic plant the flower of the holy night, and the shape of the poinsettia has become a symbol of the star of Bethlehem. 
The most striking and universal feature of Christmas is the use of evergreens. Among ancient Romans, evergreens were an emblem of peace, joy, and victory. Early Christians placed evergreens in their windows to indicate that Christ had entered their homes. Green represents renewal, new life, freshness, and rebirth. Plants such as pine, fir, holly, ivy, and mistletoe are called evergreens because they do not die. Through the seasons of the year, they remain evergreen, ever alive. It's no wonder, then, that we deck our sanctuary with evergreens during this Advent season as they symbolize the unchanging nature and consistency of God's love. Holly, in particular, became widely used in church celebrations because it was considered to be similar to the burning bush or to be a symbol of Mary, whose being glows in the Holy Spirit. Ivy has been used as Christmas decor since the Middle Ages, when it was considered a symbol of love because of its persistent growth. Holly and ivy are often associated with each other because of Holly's sturdiness and ivy's tenacity. Both have the incredible ability to survive and grow, much like the Christianity that has survived and grown through the centuries. Christmas joy naturally overflows into music. Around the 4th century CE, bells first pealed in glad song at Christmas. Of all our Christmas symbols, bells have experienced the fewest changes. Church bells, which have gladdened the heart of people throughout the ages, are said to have originated with Bishop Paulinus 
of Nola in Campania, Italy, who died in 431 CE. Medieval people had a soft spot for bells and would dedicate them with prayers, almost regarding bells as living beings. Historical bells that have rung out the glad new of Christmas include the Emperor Bell in Moscow, the Great Bell of China at Peking, Big Ben of London, and the Liberty Bell of Philadelphia. It is, however, church bells in regular communities and churches all throughout the world that have made their way into our hearts. Reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Several other people have already written accounts of what God has been bringing to completion among us, using the reports of the original eyewitnesses, those who were there from the start to witness the fulfillment of prophecy. Like those other servants who have recorded the messages, I present to you my carefully researched, orderly account of these new teachings. I want you to know that you can fully rely on the things you have been taught about Jesus, God's anointed one. To understand the life of Jesus, I must first give you some background history, events that occurred when Herod ruled Judea for the Roman Empire. 
Zacharias was serving as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem those days, as his father had before him. He was a member of the priestly division of Abijah, grandson of Aaron, who innovated temple practices, and his wife Elizabeth was of the priestly lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother. They were good and just people in God's sight, walking with integrity in the Lord's ways and laws. Yet they had this sadness because, due to Elizabeth's infertility, they were childless. And at this time, they were both quite old, well past normal childbearing years. One day, Zacharias was chosen to perform his priestly duties in God's presence, according to the temple's normal schedule and routine. He had been selected from all the priests by the customary procedure of casting lots for a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the sacred precincts of the temple. There he burned sweet incense, while outside a large crowd of people prayed. Suddenly, Zacharias realized he was not alone. A messenger of the Lord was there with him. The messenger stood just to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was shocked and afraid, but the messenger reassured him, saying, Zacharias, calm down. Don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife is going to have a son, and you will name him John. He will bring you great joy and happiness, and many will share your joy at John's birth. This son of yours will be a great man in God's sight. He will not drink alcohol in any form. Instead of alcoholic spirits, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he is in his mother's womb. Here is his mission. He will turn many of the children of Israel around to follow the path of the Lord their God. Do you remember the prophecy about someone to come in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah? Someone who will turn the hearts of the parents back to their children. Someone who will turn the hearts of the disobedient to the mindset of the just and good. Your son is the one who will fulfill this prophecy. He will be the Lord's forerunner. The one who will prepare the people and make them ready for God. Zacharias said, How can I be sure of what you are telling me? I am an old man, and my wife is far past the normal age for women to bear children. This is hard to believe. The messenger sternly replied, I am Gabriel, the messenger who inhabits God's presence. I was sent here to talk with you and bring you this good news. Because you didn't believe my message, you will not be able to talk, not another word, until you experience the fulfillment of my words. Meanwhile, the crowd at the temple wondered why Zacharias hadn't come out of the sanctuary yet. It wasn't normal for the priest to be delayed so long. When at last he came out, he was making signs with his hands to give the blessing, but he couldn't speak. They realized he had seen some sort of vision. When his time on duty at the temple came to an end, he went back home to his wife. The Gospel of our Lord.
there's a spider on the microphone. We're going to keep an eye on that. If you read this week's newsletter, you're aware that our theme for this Advent season is how does a weary world rejoice? This is, of course, an allusion to the beloved carol, O Holy Night, but if you're like me, you might not know the history of this hymn. Originally composed by a French poet who was himself an atheist, the music was supplied by a Jewish composer. The hymn was later translated into English by an American Unitarian minister. And then in the 1800s, it became a popular hymn for Christian abolitionists. Due to its justice-focused language in verse 3. For us, this theme felt appropriate for several reasons. The ongoing war in the Holy Land, the general state of American politics, and the fact that we are facing yet again what promises to be an exhausting and divisive election year, no matter your political leanings. And if you're coming into this Advent season already weary, I want you to know that there is room for that weariness. You are not alone. As commentator Reverend Cecilia Armstrong says quite beautifully, we can be weary in various ways because of our age, our waiting, because we have faced the same routine for years and seemingly watched nothing change. This is certainly the case for Zachariah in this morning's reading from Luke's Gospel. Faced with an angel telling him his wife Elizabeth will finally have a child, his response is reasonable. How will I know this? Or how will I know this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. When we are weary, we tend to seek clarity instead of insisting on God's grace to provide for us during our weariness. And as a result of his insistence in his lack of relying on God to provide for his weariness, Zechariah is abruptly muted. It is so apparent that he's had an encounter with the holy, with the divine, that when those waiting outside of the temple while he performs his temple duties as a priest, when they see him come out and he, all he can do is make hand signs, they realize something has happened, even though he cannot speak. They don't speak either. They don't ask what has happened. And we aren't told Elizabeth's response to her husband being mute. Some of us might appreciate a bit of silence in our homes and with our partners, but I'm not speaking for myself, I promise. (laughs) I love you so much. But I find it difficult to believe that Elizabeth doesn't miss being able to have conversations with her husband after discovering this long-desired pregnancy. I can't imagine that she doesn't want to talk with him about how they will raise their son, her concerns about going through labor, and how drastically their lives are going to change. And I certainly hope this imposed silence doesn't affect Elizabeth and Zachariah's ability to hope. Now, this morning's psalm reading might have seemed a bit odd. It felt odd to me when I first read it from the lectionary, but the important thing to know is that it is a cry for restoration. 
The request in prayer form is to restore us, to let God's face shine. And that request, if you go back and read that psalm again, is made three times in the text. This is worth mentioning because there is a tradition in religious education that if something appears three times in the sacred text, then it must be important. Amid weariness, restoration is particularly important as it acts as a light at the end of the tunnel. Restoration is a way to combat weariness and provide a glimpse of hope that helps sustain us and grants us an opportunity to rejoice. In 1922, the poet Langston Hughes, who I hope all of you know, uh, wrote uh, a poem that appeared in his first book. The book was called The Weary Blues, and the book came out in 1926. The poem that some of you may know is called Mother to Son and describes the heaviness of living as a black person who faces the many obstacles and dangers that accompany racism in American society. It's a short poem. I'd like to share it with you. I will uh, give the disclaimer that I'm going to use the language of the poem itself. This is not me inserting anything that isn't in the original text. Well, son, I'll tell you. Life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time I've been a-climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you sit down on the steps because you find it's kind of hard. Don't fall. For I still going, honey. I still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. As Hughes writes, when we're weary, hope comes from not turning back, not sitting down, not falling or pausing, or letting the effort of our climbing to be halted by how hard the task before us is. This is the same encouragement we can find in Zachariah and Elizabeth's story, that weariness happens but it doesn't have to be the end of our hope. That the effort of just raising our foot to take that next step is worthwhile. That though we may be struck silent, though we might not have the right words to say or any words for what's happening around us, we shouldn't turn back, but look ahead. For restoration is coming. Hope is alive. Weariness will give way to new life. Today, the Christmas tree is the center of our seasonal festivities. Glittering with lights and ornaments, it is part of the beauty and meaning of Christmas. There are several legends and stories about the Christmas tree. The first use of the Christmas tree was in the medieval German paradise plays held outdoors and portraying the creation of humanity. The tree of life was a fir decorated with apples, later gilded nuts. Uh, Other ornaments were hung on the tree, such as paper flowers, sorry, and gilded nuts, excuse me. In England, branches or whole trees were forced to bloom indoors for Christmas. 
From these beginnings, the use of a tree at Christmas was established, but it was Martin Luther who was perhaps the first to use a lighted tree. The story is told that one Christmas Eve, Luther wandered outdoors and became enraptured with the beauty of the starry sky. Its brilliance and loveliness led him to reflect on the glory of the first Christmas Eve as seen in, the, in Bethlehem's radiant skies. Wishing to share this with his wife and children, uh, he, uh, the enchantment that he had felt, he cut from the forest an evergreen, glistening with snow, and took it home. He placed upon it candles to represent the glorious heavens he had seen, and the use of a candle-lighted tree spread to all of Europe and eventually to America, where a lit tree has become the central ornament of Christmas. Both visual and performing arts have always been an important uh, have always been important ways to communicate the Christian faith. The use of music has helped believers understand their godly hope. Other forms of visual art have been used to help express various aspects of Christian doctrine and life. Colors, altar pyramids, and banners are some of the most important visual ways Christians have used to express their faith in worship. In the early days of Christian worship, Advent was seen as a somber time, much like Lent is today. Purple table coverings were used to speak of Christ's kingship, purple being the color of royalty. We continue this tradition today with our pyramids, which you will notice are purple. Our pyramids will remain purple until Christmas Day when they change to white. The pyramids will then remain white through Christmastide the 12 days after Christmas Day, to represent the life of the Christ child come into the world.
Friends, as we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat of the bread of life and to drink of the cup of the new covenant, for as Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger. Those who believe in me shall never thirst. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes. Make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here, no matter our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, or our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, remember me. And then after supper, Jesus picked up a cup. And during his blessing of it, as he poured the wine, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, Christ makes the same promise to each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Okay, now come back here.
come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns and lowly exile here, until the Son of God appear. Oh, come thou, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death dark shadows put to flight. Thank you.
I'm going to have you be seated for just a minute because we have someone new joining the church today. Wes, would you come up and join me, please? Some of you have had the chance to meet Wes Bolton. Some of you might not, but if you haven't, here is your opportunity. Come stand right here with me. Wes is, I think, a lifelong Methodist. Yes. But has found a home amongst our little renegade band. (laughs) And we welcome him with open arms. We are very glad that you are here. He is a musical person. I think we'll be joining the choir. Is that the intention? Very amateur. Very, okay. I appreciate music. (laughs) Wonderful. So you will get to see a lot more of this handsome face. And I... Even the lights are excited. (laughs) We're going to keep going. They'll call. We'll get it handled. Don't worry. So... I apologize. So, if you would welcome Wes and all of the chaos that apparently is happening this morning, if you would welcome him, would you please say yes? Yes. I hope you heard how.
And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste in superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Thank you.